Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. There are many books that define my childhood, but I think the one that stands out to me the most is The Hundred Dresses. I was a dreamy, old-fashioned second grader, obsessed with Little House on the Prairie and anything that took place in the past, when this book found its way to me. From the moment my second grade teacher first began to read the story, I was transported from my Texas classroom to the chill beauty of New England. As my teacher read about the crisp fall days that turned to winter, I became lost in the story, finding a kindred spirit in the character of Maddie. And as the story went on, God began to whisper truth into my young life, and this book was permanently etched in my heart. And now, here's the story. Oh, and a quick warning, it does contain some spoilers. Enjoy. A slim, sparse children's book with lovely illustrations by Louis Labodkin, The Hundred Dresses by Eleanor Estes, tells a surprisingly poignant story of forgiveness and grace, guilt, and the choices we make. Written in 1944, it is the story of two friends, Maddie and Peggy, who play a game with a girl named Wanda Petronsky, a poor girl from an undesirable neighborhood and with a funny last name. Wanda wears the same dress to school every day and becomes an object of ridicule when she tells the girls at school that she has a hundred dresses in her closet. Peggy and the other girls enjoy teasing Wanda about this. Every day they sweetly taunt Wanda on their way to school and ask her how many dresses she has in her closet, knowing that she only owns one faded blue dress. They get Wanda to describe to them her hundred dresses, feigning surprise at the wealth of her wardrobe. Maddie alone, who is poor herself, seems to feel guilt by the girl's sport, and participates in silence. One day, Wanda does not come to school, and the game stops. Maddie begins to feel increasingly guilty for the girls teasing Wanda. When weeks go by and Wanda is still not in school, and with the winners of the class art contest days away, a letter arrives from her father to say that he is moving his family to a place that will be better for them. While on the surface this book could read like a warning against teasing and bullying, it stays away from becoming didactic or moralistic. It is a sweet, simple story that never feels weighed down by its message. The Hundred Dresses is a story about kindness, compassion, repentance, and forgiveness, as much as it is a story about cruelty and bullying. Eleanor Estes offers us a rare gift, unlike many other books about bullies, that only show the side of the victim— The victim is virtually silent here. Wanda only says a few words, really, although she haunts the whole book. Instead, we see things from the bully's perspective, when the damage is done and they are coming to terms with their guilt. It is the character of Maddie who first realizes the guilt of the friends in their treatment of Wanda. Over the course of a few days, Maddie wrestles with how the girl's words have affected Wanda wondering if they have some responsibility in the Petronsky's move. Staying up all night in a fit of worry even, Maddie seeks to make amends even after Wanda moves away, but her efforts seem in vain when she and Peggy aren't able to find Wanda's new address and instead have to send a please-forward letter at the address in Boggins Heights. 
And we, as the reader, are left to ask, if they can't get the letter to Wanda, how can things be made right again? Sometimes there is a particular line from a book that stays lodged in my imagination for years. Someone may say something and a connection is sparked, and the line automatically plays through my head, my memory forever associating bits of words with a simple phrase. I have a hundred dresses all lined up. The word spoken by Wanda Petronsky in The Hundred Dresses is one such phrase that has stuck with me for over three decades. If I had to sum up my childhood reading life in one book, and it's a very difficult decision, it would be The Hundred Dresses. It is quite possibly the book that formed my character the most as a child. With each move, some five plus in total, the original paperback I bought when I was eight years old has come with me. My maiden name boldly printed in purple ink. The cover is curled now, worn from years of reading, bent from being shoved into boxes in so many moves. It is very well loved. And although my sister bought me a pristine card cover for my birthday years ago, I have never been able to part with that first copy I bought for myself. It was in second grade when I was introduced to the book. Our classroom was filled with bright colors and harsh fluorescent lighting that offset the dark laminate tops of our desk that were clustered in groups. We had a little space in back to gather to do group work and where our teacher read to us from the collection of books that were shelved in a small corner of the room. I had a kind, beautiful teacher with permed blonde hair who seemed to have a closet filled with Laura Ashley dresses. I admired her for all these things. They were very important to my 80s childhood view of beauty. But as a fledgling bookworm, I admired her the most for how she fostered an environment of reading in our classroom. Miss Castle read aloud to us and she encouraged us to read. Books by Beverly Cleary and E.B. White and Eleanor Estes, the words flowed through our classroom while the books passed through our hands. My teacher, with the whole class around her, miraculously silent and well-behaved, gathered on the floor in the back of the class to hear the tales of Ramona's escapades and Stuart Little's adventures and kind, sacrificial Charlotte showing the depths of love that can be found in friendship. And one day she read our class, The Hundred Dresses. Hearing that story for the first time was pure magic. An avid paper doll collector, I was transfixed by the story of a hundred dresses, each unique in its design, etched out in brilliant colors on wrapping paper. But the story transformed my heart, too. More than any other book in my childhood, this book made a lasting impression on me. It awakened my conscience. I had been told to be kind to others and not to gossip, to love my neighbor, essentially. But I mostly understood these truths in theory. This story gave me a tangible picture of the effect our unkindness can have on others. I identified with Maddie's struggle to stand up for the outcast or stay quiet and fit in. It was as if I had found kinship in that tale. The sleepless night she experiences was something I could imagine doing in the same situation. The simple words Eleanor Estes uses to describe Maddie's struggle, the first time I heard them, had a way of showing me a picture of repentance and redemption that I hadn't seen before. Would Maddie be able to make it right even though Wanda had moved away? I ached to know. How could she make amends after causing such misery to a kind and quiet soul? I wondered over this, my mind trying to grasp the meaning of forgiveness. When she finished reading the books to the class, my teacher would place them in a cubby in a corner of the room 
a sort of makeshift library, and anyone in class could check them out if they wished. I checked so many of the books out, rereading them for myself as soon as she finished them, tucking them away in the pocket of my trapper keeper, and reading whenever I had a spare minute. Usually, I didn't have to wait for a book before I could check it out. A Hundred Dresses was the exception. It seemed to take forever before I got my hands on that book. I had to wait in a queue that seemed to stretch on into infinity in my second grade mind. Finally, the day came when I saw the hundred dresses in our classroom library, and I immediately snatched it up and went to my teacher's desk. I am forever grateful for her kindness and generosity in letting us borrow the books. I believe it is proof that she cared more about us reading than keeping her books unspoiled by the grubby hands of second graders. I have no idea how many times I read the book once I took it home, or how many times I slipped it from the pocket of my trapper keeper during the stolen moments of my day to read a page or two. At home, I read the book and dreamed of being transported from the scorching heat of Texas to the delicious cold of New England. When I returned the book to our classroom library, I had made a decision. I had to find a way to get my own copy. And so I saved money and went with my mom to our local children's bookstore, The Pepper Tree, to buy a copy. The Pepper Tree was like a magical world to me, a toy store and bookstore combined. It held an endless playground for the imagination. One section of the store was filled with toys, and the other section had beautiful wooden shelves to house the books. On the large and wooden front door was a stained glass window of a bird in a tree, Brilliant reds and golds and greens heralded your way into the shop. I remember looking for the hundred dresses on the shelf, passing my fingers over the book spine, searching for E for Estes, and that momentary elation mixed with fear. Would they have it? And as I stood on tiptoe to see the higher shelves, I saw it, and with trembling fingers and an all-over excitement, I took it from the shelf, knowing that it was meant for me. Carrying it home that day, I felt an ownership of that book. I suppose we all do when we really connect to a story. In a way, it becomes part of our own story. I felt that Maddie was a kindred spirit. She was the first book character that I could see myself in. The world that Eleanor Estes created helped me see my own world better. Because of Maddie and Peggy's treatment of Wanda, I was made aware of how I treated my fellow classmates. Even at a young age, I was a keen participant in gossip and didn't want to be known for befriending the oddball of the class. I had been told not to gossip, but it did not equip me to resist the temptation when faced with a juicy tidbit about a fellow classmate. But when I read what Peggy and the other girls' words did to Wanda, I saw the harm that gossip does. I finally understood its innocent maliciousness. I was pinpricked now each time I was tempted to join in teasing or snubbing an unpopular classmate. I would think of Wanda Petronsky and her quiet voice telling the other girls about her hundred dresses. The delight I took in belittling others would turn to ash on my tongue. And so I would try my hardest, failing often, to be kind, to be a friend to the Wanda Petronskys in my life because of this little book. It's been years since I read The Hundred Dresses, decades probably, but I picked it up the other day, and in spite of its mere 80-page length, it took me well over a week to read it. A book that I could devour in an afternoon or a day or two in childhood took me nearly two weeks to read. Why? Because I couldn't read it fast, 
Not anymore. I had to take it slow. I had to savor it. Decades since last reading it, I see it with new eyes. I'm an adult now with many life experiences since then, some beautiful, many painful, and now with the addition of a very young daughter of my own. This book had suddenly become so true that it hurt. It was as if my heart was laid bare in that reading, and all of my makeup and self was brought out into the light. I have been all the little girls in the book at some point in my life. I have always been Maddie, knowing what was right but afraid to be ostracized or worse, become the object of ridicule if I spoke. Self-protection first, always my motto. But now I can see that I've also been Peggy, the instigator of cruelty masked as harmless fun. And I have been Wanda too, teased because I didn't have as much as others. And oh, how those words sting. I read recently that Eleanor Estes wrote this book because when she was young, there had been a girl bullied in school like Wanda. It was her way of atonement. I only know that, as an impressionable eight-year-old, when I read Wanda's letter to her class after she moved away, giving two of her prize-winning drawings to Peggy and Maddie, who had teased her so cruelly, it was a beautiful introduction to Grace. This book was written 75 years ago. I have read it dozens of times since childhood, and even as an adult, it has the power to uncover my soul, to convict and heal. The ending still brings tears to my eyes with its beautiful and delicate picture of repentance and forgiveness. I found out not long ago that the DeGremmon Collection, a special children's collection my mother worked at during college, houses some of Eleanor Estes' papers. We're thinking of making a literary pilgrimage there one day. I owe so much to this book, how could I not? But for now, I am content with reading it and the host of memories it conjures up between its once crisp but now curling pages. The one I first read as a little girl, and to be cut to the quick by those eight simple words, I have a hundred dresses all lined up. Read this book, even though it's a children's book. And if there are children in your life, read it with them. Read this book for its simple beauty, for its sweet goodness, its truth. Read it for its offering of hope that grace and forgiveness are on offer even when we have been cruel. To Eleanor Estes, thank you for writing this book and for teaching a young girl about grace. My childhood would not have been the same without it. Thank you.